Welcome everyone to another episode of the Voices of Boyle podcast. This is episode number 20 and for the first time we have a duo on the podcast, Dermot and Paula Lahith. Dermot, Paula and their family relocated from Dublin in 1985 down to Boyle where they took over the Lakeshore restaurant out in Rockingham. Over the next 10 years they played a major role in marketing the Forest Park and they laid the foundations for the success that it has become today. I visited them down in their home in Sligo and we had a great chat about their memories of Boyle and also the lifelong connections that they still maintain to this day. So here's a little trip down memory lane and I'm sure most of you will remember the Lahith family very well. I'd like to welcome Paula and Dermot Lahith to the Voices of Boyle podcast. I hope you're keeping well guys. Yeah, we are, yeah. Good. Anyone from my generation or older will remember the Lahith family well from the days of running the Lakeshore restaurant out in the Forest Park during the 80s and 90s. So to start off, guys, could you both tell us a little bit about your background? Well, I think I'll let Dermot do that. Well, uh, background. I was in the uh, hotel management and catering business, and uh, I had been in different parts, England, France, back to Ireland, worked with juries, then moved on uh, to run a restaurant up in the Wicklow Mountains. And from there, uh, we uh, had a restaurant in Dawkey. And uh, that was in the late 70s and early 80s. And suddenly then, the recession recession hit. The uh, then coalition government removed the concession on business entertainment, and the upmarket business uh, kind of flopped about nineteen eighty five, eighty four, maybe. I decided enough was enough, and we were working. Uh, kind of forty hours a week, <laughs> uh, uh, fifty hours a week, sixty hours a week. Uh, and we were never able to see our children. Uh, really, it was a question of crash, work, uh, collect, feed, crash, work. And Paula had to do a lot of the uh, to and fro and while I did uh, various things to make the business viable. But uh, it just wasn't uh, worth it from any point of view. So uh, 1985... Sometime around January of 85, we uh, got a note from the forestry to say that they wanted to interview us regarding our application for a franchise in Boyle. And uh, we were due to go down there. We had been accepted or we uh, achieved the uh, the thing and uh, we went down to Boyle uh, but not until April, I think it was, and the Roscommon Herald had headlines like the uh, Forest Park is not reopening uh, for Easter and it's not reopening for this, that and the other. And primarily the problem was that we had been granted the franchise, but then there was a certain political uh, influence to bear on the forestry, who were civil servants, of course, and uh, the political influence wanted their own candidate. So we were put through the hoops in terms of 
financial bonds to say we were uh, financially competent to run the thing mm. and all kinds of lo- hoops and loops and eventually we arrived I think it was shortly before probably the latest Easter that's possible and we di- we literally uh, fell into it hook, line and sinker uh, hit the ground running yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> got so, the show so, going so the Lakeshore restaurant under your ownership came in, in 1985. Yeah. And mm. from then, when it was a 10-year stint. Yeah. Right. And so... There, was, uh, there wasn't a time limit right. on it. Or okay. So it was... So that was the point. Could yeah. have been for life. Okay. And you just decided when it came time, that was that was your time in 95 to, to, yeah. to move on. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so, Paula, you're... Can I ask, where did, where did you guys meet? Or how did that, you know, in your early days, was did you meet? Well, yes, where did we meet? That's a good one, all right. Um, well, I met Dermot at a Church of Ireland dance in Greystones, County Wicklow. Where they, so the whole thing was, we'd get a lift down to the dance from uh, one or other of our parents. And, but we had to make sure that we got the last bus home half eleven. Otherwise, we'd have to walk. The whole thing was then, you know, uh, anybody who asked us to dance, we'd say, yeah, do you have a car? (laughs) So anyway, I met this uh, Galway man and uh, we started going out together and I brought him home to meet my dad and mother. And um, my dad was kind of very strict man and he kind of comes in and says, hello, young man. And who are you? And where do you come from? What do you do? Yeah. yeah. The third degree, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. And he said, well, I'm from a little town, a little village called Peter's Well between Lockray and Gort, says Dermot. I don't think you'd know it. So um, my father was aghast that he said, you're not Josephine Hayes' son, are you? And as it happened that he used to go out with Dermot's mother and they only lived within two miles down well, the road from each other. So that is how we met. That is how you met, right? Yeah, yeah. So, going then during your time in in the Lake Shore restaurant, what was that like running a restaurant back in the eighties, like oh, mid, mid to late eighties? We had come from the rat race of the upmarket business in the East Coast in Dublin, and suddenly we had a shop and a tourist facility and a restaurant. And it, the, the whole thing was you could talk to people like they were uh, both sides were human <laughs> and it, the difference was I, I couldn't believe for example that you could stand behind a counter in a shop hand something out and get paid for it <laughs> as opposed to the hours and hours of laborious work you, you had to spend in a, an upmarket restaurant uh, doing fiddly bits to uh, present something that was uh, of value to people who, yeah. who were prepared to pay for it. Right, right. <laughs> and I have a vague recollection, but wasn't there? Didn't you live behind the restaurant? Wasn't there a house? Yeah, there was. There was. Yeah, a vague, I don't know why a the residence, went, residence came with yes. the franchise. Okay, it's yeah. no, it is there no longer. No, mm-hmm. but oh. um, yeah, because mm-hmm. I remember it was a. It looked pretty big but then when you're young. It probably looked bigger than what it actually was, but it looked pretty big of a house, a pretty big house back then. Um, 
It was a, it was more kind of a chalet type. It wasn't the most uh, luxurious, but the location was yeah. absolutely incredible. Yeah. I mean, we had been to Lockheed about uh, four or five years earlier with the caravan, with the with the two of the kids, or one, two, one, I think, when he was very young, and I had kind of said, "God, I have to come back here." Not thinking that it would be yeah. uh, as a business. Right. And to believe that we had this house in the middle of the park where you could... I mean, from from September each year until uh, March, it was yours. The whole park was yours. Yeah, because no one had... Um, we could bring yeah. the kids out to see the bats under Drum Bridge or we, you'd hear the badgers grunting at night or the the deer yeah. and we had a dog who used to chase the deer down the tunnel which was of course open to the everybody then back and, then yeah and the elements and because back then not many people used to avail of the facilities of the park because obviously it's done up now it's more developed but back yeah. then yeah. like you just you would never really people from Boyle would never really venture out to go mm-hmm. for a walk there the way we yeah. do now yeah. so as you said you would have had that the Forest Park to your, yourself during that months, really. Yeah, no one else yeah, more, yes. There were a it. few regulars who used to come out. Yeah, uh, uh, you could get an annual ticket. Yeah, for the yes. local people. Okay. Yeah, especially. Yeah, but I, I think there was a certain uh, disillusionment with the locals in terms of how it had transpired because originally, you know, as I understand it, the park was donated to the community, but they didn't have the capacity or the facilities to run it. Sure. So therefore, they passed it on to the forestry. Okay. And of course, uh, the forestry had their own ideas about it. Mm. So there was a little bit of... Uh, an, uh, the Some previous incumbents in the park uh, weren't exactly community-minded, right. let's say. Yeah. Yeah. So there was always... Uh, a bit of a standoff we felt and we had to work uh, at rebuilding a certain amount of uh, contact between between ourselves and the community well I suppose when you know we went down and it was just before Easter as Dermot said just put our nose to the grindstone and started working and then Mm. we used to employ fifth year students and they we had the assistance of a lady from CERT, which was the, the training Kettle body, training. catering training body. So we trained these young people in, and uh, they were lovely. Re- you know, they really were. They were delighted to have the few extra bob for the summer, and um, they were the waiting staff, and they did everything. And then the shop was Bernie Regan and Kate Aries, those two ladies, and they ran the shop, and they ran a great show down yeah. there we sold everything from cigarettes to basic groceries you get your pint of milk and your paper and um yeah so yeah. It, it was it was good and then of course on the fringes we had jerry sweeney who ran the boat the um, uh, um yeah the, the boat the, the, yeah, yeah and pete walsh who was in charge uh, his family, smaller boats. who were yeah. in charge of the smaller yeah. boats yeah. So, uh, and then the forestry lads were around Michael Costello, uh, you know, who was the head forester, and yeah. he had a love for 
Michael uh, loved the park and and, uh, and nature, and he, he was he was great. We occasionally we had a little bit of a conflict between our our business and his love of, of nature and the park, but uh, we got on extremely well uh, because we mutually did love the location anyway. Yeah, yeah. So, and did you have any or did you face any challenges? running a restaurant back in those days like that stood out for you the weather yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. the weather yeah. the whole, I can remember emptying one very hot summer's day uh, and there was a big crowd in the park and they were coming from all angles and I can remember emptying four freezers of ice cream in an hour and you know they would just appear from nowhere so um yeah, and then, of course, on the other days, you know, you'd be all set. You'd have everything in and you'd look up at the clouds and you'd say, it's not going to rain. And it so it was unpredictable. And mm. especially with our weather in Ireland, very yeah. unpredictable. Well, actually, that summer of uh, 85 was not a summer at all. I think, if I recall, between the time we arrived there and uh, September, we had something like nine or ten days uh, which were rain-free that whole summer and uh, I know Jerry Sweeney on the boats and ourselves looked out the window and wonder had we been sold a pup as they say <laughs> because uh, but don't forget uh, statistically it was quoted that uh, Lockheed Forest Park was second to Dublin Zoo at the time in terms of visitor numbers what was it? so oh. it was up there in the top three uh, for for an extended period of time. Okay. Yeah. But the first time I ventured into town, um, you know, after we kind of got everything set up, I couldn't believe it because people kept coming over and wishing me luck and, wish, you know, and welcoming us and our family to the park. And this was just unreal to me because, you know, city life, everybody's anonymous. You just get around oh. doing their thing. No one talks to anybody. But in Boyle, it was different. Yeah, they went out of their way to make us feel at home. It's. Uh, I was recently talking to Christy Wynn and he mentioned something of what he, someone described to him. If a stranger came into Boyle, he, Boyle was a stranger's paradise because everyone would be so welcoming. And yeah, what you said there uh, adds to that because exactly. people wanted to see people mm-hmm. do well. Yeah, and Jerry Dodd, he said, if you can't get it in Boyle, you don't need it. <laughs> Well said, yeah, exactly, yeah. But even I remember uh, Vincent Regan came in. Vincent ran the hotel, Vincent and Angela Regan. And he came into the shop uh, very shortly after we arrived there. And he said, you know, I I had a notion of applying for this as well, he says. And uh, uh, you got it anyway. And uh, no, good luck to you. Yeah. If you if you make a bags of it, you'll hear about it. But if you <laughs> succeed, the best of luck to you. And subsequently, uh, I used to, uh, if they wanted a holiday or something, I would uh, in the winter period, I uh, would uh, look after the hotel for them. Ah, oh, brilliant! So, so was, yeah, you know, it, it was that kind of. There was there was always a healthy tension in Boyle. There was. You know, three religions, uh, and and they all got on incredibly well. There was two strong political persuasions, 
very strong, uh, uh, who kind of at one stage could easily go, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. on the other hand, if it came to something for Boyle, uh, Boyle came first. Right. And there was no... Uh, and because our children were in school, I mean, whatever you give back to the community, you get it back 110%. Course, yeah. You know, and As then, the way a community should be. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Children... Draw you into the community anyway. You know, within a week, there were kids coming to the house to play with our kids. And Brilliant. I yeah. suppose maybe our kids were a bit of a novelty <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah, because I, uh, yeah, I was going to ask, what was it like to adjust to life in boy when you moved? But obviously, from what you were saying, it was pretty smooth, I think. Yeah, oh, it, was, it was. And, and uh, you know, our suppliers were very loyal. I mean, for example, if I did empty that freezer of the four things of ice cream, you'd ring up HB or as it was at the time and say, you know, listen, we're running out. Can you help us? And even if it was a bank holiday weekend, they would come down and replenish your essentials. Now, where would you get that? I know, I know, because it was great back in those days. As you said, the community was so strong. But there were two... Two great schools, the primary primary schools, you know, the girls and and the boys' school were were great schools. Yeah, and uh, I remember distinctly Peter, uh, our son Peter, who developed a love of literature, was probably through Master Fallon, as he used to call him. That's right, Jeff who Fallon. encouraged kids to read, bring home books and read them, and yeah. uh, that's where Peter got into the whole language literary uh, yes. thing and uh, I also remember uh, May Morn uh, one of the teachers in the girls school who uh, one of our children had a negative experience in a previous school before we moved and she uh, spontaneously said she would take our kid uh, for an hour after the others had left while she was waiting to collect her own kids and she would uh, give her a, a leg up, so to speak. And after a month, she said, that girl is doing great, you know, and Brilliant, that yeah. girl has done great ever since. And yeah. they've all done great because of Boyle. Of course, yeah. Where they did all their... Yeah, Peter runs his own language school. You uh, mentioned that, yeah. yeah, which is brilliant, yeah. 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 And it's great. Yeah. They're all doing their own and thing. And it shows from the er- those early days of uh, Jack Fallon, yeah. Yeah. You know, maybe prompting them to bring home the extra books and do reading, that, that's that's it. ended yeah. up being his career. And then one day, in the early, uh, I was looking for a babysitter, and um, there was a knock on this door, and this lady met the door, which was Brida Dodd, complete with a welcoming lemon cake, and she said, I hear you need a babysitter. And we said yes, and herself and Avril, who was three years old at the time, they formed an instant bond. And uh, yeah, they were all around town. Avril knew everybody. And what's more, everybody knew Avril. (laughs) And then another person who was very good to Avril was Margaret Smith. Uh, Now, Margaret used to babysit for the Sloans. And uh, Timmy, Timmy Sloan, she used to come and call for uh, Avril and they would all head off to the park together, you know. Uh, great. And then Avril would say to the visitors, my name is Avril Ahif, I can show you around if you like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Margaret was a very, uh, uh, a very 
upright, good Protestant lady. And uh, it was only after a long time that she even mentioned her past and she had been a nurse apparently in in the Second World War and uh, she was of that age and she was a wonderful lady and uh, she reared I think virtually Timmy Sloan and and his sister whose name escapes me right now but uh, But they're still good friends Um, Avril and Timmy Sloan and Timmy's wife and children uh, so she goes up the north every now and again to say hello to him. Great you know, that they keep in, you know, keep in contact and yeah, that's you know, it, it shows friends, friends. Yeah. life. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So another topic which I definitely wanted to cover was the hot air balloons. So 1979 was the first hot uh, championships that came to boil. And then I think there was only a handful of five or ten balloons that seemingly went up. Then it went away and went around different parts of the country. But you guys were instrumental, part of the committee that got it back in 89 to Boyle, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe you could talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, I, uh, I think actually it was Ronan O'Connella who uh, gave us a phone call and said, look, uh, I've heard that uh, the National Organisation of Hot Air Ballooning are looking for a venue and said you should... Uh, have a shot at convincing them to come to to boil, uh, and that's how it was. You know, with people were always interested in developing something in boil. Uh, so, I, yeah, I contacted them, and yes, they had been there, as you said, a few years earlier with a few, but uh, the thing had got bigger, and yeah, they agreed to come, and the first year was. was that uh, particular year 89 89 Uh, and it was just wonderful because it it happened in the autumn and you had this uh, uh, kind of frosty exactly uh, foggy weather and they of course wanted to fly according uh, with the dictation of the air currents so they flew at a particular time they knew uh, how the currents or the particular day and the heat and the cold and whatever would affect their flight patterns. And, and I can um, almost to this day hear the whoosh of the gas yeah. going in. Yes. Yeah. And also the smell of croissants and coffee. You know, I can almost kind of smell seven o'clock it in now the morning because yeah. we would get up at six o'clock and we'd have all the croissants and pots of coffee ready for, for when you. the crews came yeah. in at seven. Mm. We'd have all ready to go. It, yeah. you know? it was such a big asset and attraction for the town back then well basically you had two or three hundred people uh, who needed accommodation for a week in Boyle and uh, then we had the, the various events in the pubs as well at night uh, and also in order to finance a certain amount of it the uh, balloonists agreed to put advertising signs on their baskets so we had to get those printed up and uh, not flags as such, mm. but, you know, publicity, but they had to be of a certain material, durable material. Yeah. So we got those printed up locally as well. And then we had this um, a pub crawl, I suppose you would mm. call it, but uh, it was a treasure hunt around the pubs in Boyle because we were trying to bring the blueness into the community. So we had to go down to every pub. And I don't remember how many pubs there were 
in Boyle at the time. But we had to go in and plant a clue in each pub. And, of course, have a drink at the same time. Of we course. Were and there was a lot of pubs. <laughs> yeah. There was plenty of pubs. <laughs> exactly. It took, took a few days. Yeah. <laughs> but we also ran a, a painting competition for the kids. Because the blueness would have gone to the schools and brought the kids out into the to, to the tethered blooms. And, of course, the children thought this was just amazing. And the, the painting competition, there were so many entries that we almost didn't have enough room for them all. All down the corridor uh, were pictures. So it was impossible to choose a winner, but we did. And uh, it was just another good thing from the beginning. It was, it the the success of it was dependent on a much wider community than just Boyle, particularly the farmers, and if we're talking about farmers from uh, Roscommon to near Longford, uh, to uh, usually they because of the prevailing winds in that they went either south, east. Or northeast occasionally, but it was on a, that kind of a, a loop uh, of width to where they flew, mm. and uh, we depended on the cooperation of farmers, for example, who uh, the first year I think there was uh, we had to do a little bit of gentle persuasion right. because you mentioned the swoosh of the of the uh, animals uh, of, of the gas things burners. And particularly the uh, semental cattle or, or would were or fairly flighty, get very free. and uh, horses and even sheep. So there were a few. My gap was broken. Uh, you know, my sheep did a runner. Yeah, but eventually, uh, after the first year, they realised that there was a way around this because don't forget that they were selling the food to the. B and B's in the restaurants, so it was what goes around comes around exactly. in that regard. Yeah, there was a bit of a uh, relationship. And, uh, uh, they eventually started to go to the mart a week early before the ballooning, rather than a week after, which would be normal, in order to have them off the field. Right. And a lot of there was a lot of goodwill, a lot of support. Yeah. And, uh, a lot a lot of of it. It, I, oh. even, I even went up in the balloon myself. Did you? And it was incredible because when we landed, okay, we had to go into the nearest house to say where we were because it was before the days of mobile phones and social media and mm. all that. And then the rescue team would come out oh, and, and get mm. them. I can remember this elderly man saying, do they speak English? <laughs> you know, so it was were they just, from Mars? Or, or yeah, where, where do these people come yeah. from? With the balloon in my field, you know. But the, the, some of the balloonists couldn't believe it. Where they land in a field, and the next thing, uh, the woman of the house arrives out with a tray with a cups of tea and, and yeah. scones and God knows what. Or great generosity, invited in, you know. And how was the competition judged? That's one thing I never could under, or could never oh, understand. How was it judged, well, or was had, there a way of judging us? That they they had various uh, events. I remember one was the splash and dash. So they would fly, aim to fly over uh, Lough Key, for example. The oh, lake, very low, and very then low, they very would low. go as low as possible, tip the water, and away oh, again. Right. But the trick was, if they went too low, <laughs> they got submerged in the water. Yeah, so it yeah, was which literally dangerous. splash and dash, dash so away. Then that actually makes me remember 
Do you, there was, I think, a, a raffle of a car at one stage for, and the keys, I think, were sticking out of the water on the floating device. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And they had the, that splash and dash. Yeah. So I right. remember a few of us were up on the tower looking down where it was near McDermott's castle, mm. the, the floating device was. And yeah. I always remember one balloon got down and we could see them trying to reach for, at the time, the keys of the car. But they didn't get it. Yeah. But uh, So that must have been what the, a part of that splash. Yes. Yeah, that's right. right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. God, I can still remember and, that very well. And then there was a, an element of distance travelled or whatever. Right. Because, it, you know, there was quite a bit of organisation in the background. Like you had, they had to get flight clearance from Sligo uh, Airport at the time, and they had to uh, fly below a certain level because planes that were landing in Sligo were at a certain uh, height uh, over boil when they were coming into Sligo. So they had to. It's it's not just a simple no. thing of lighting your burner and heading up into the air. You know it. it was yeah. quite a bit of art in it and then um, one other thing was then the survivors dinner or night yes. at the end of each week was a big do because they come into the town as they did every night but this mm. was then a bigger gathering at the end where they'd have some little yeah. contests well, and the Forest Park Hotel mm. was packed I mean it was just a huge night yeah, yeah. it really was yeah, yeah. yeah. I, 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 as a result I, I knew all the B&B ladies as well around you know Mrs. Kelly, Mrs. Harrington, uh, Amy Taylor, uh, 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 too numerous to mention. Bridie Gallagher, I think. Oh, Bridie right. Gallagher, yeah. yeah. And I, th- I think uh, she was up until recently, I don't know if she still is, but she used to have regulars that she'd, yeah. you know. She was an amazing woman. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And a she great really cook was. as well, I think I heard. Absolutely. She, she was used to talk about mm-hmm. her, her husband who had died. And she said, he, Tom, he, yeah, Tom he bet on two flies climbing up the wall. <laughs> I, I think it was, I think it was Tom. There's a great story we mentioned uh, Jack Fallon earlier on, the yeah. teacher, but his wife was a, quite a character too, Connie Fallon. Connie, yes, yeah. And Connie stood for election for the Labour Party on one occasion, which of course. I suppose was a bit of a wing and a prayer for between the having a chance between Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, as I said earlier. But uh, Connie apparently met uh, Tom Gallagher after the election. This is the story I heard anyway. And uh, Tom said to her, uh, sorry, you didn't get elected, uh, Connie. Uh, but I voted for you anyway. And she said, well, you're a damn liar, Tom, because I only got one vote, and that was my husband. <laughs> or something, right. like, something like that, the story goes anyway. <laughs> yeah, um, so there were loads of characters in, in oh, there was, uh, and, at and, the time. Yeah, you know. and I think, you know, it's a lot to do with the history of any town is the characters mm-hmm. as well as yeah, you know, yeah. the businesses and that. But yeah. um, you, you've been involved in numerous committees as well during your 10-year stint in Boyle uh, the town twinning I believe was one of them as well yeah, as well as the, the scouts we get onto the scouts yeah. but the town twinning I think as the well the town twinning was was great it, it, has, it was up and running by the time we arrived in Boyle and we hosted lots of French students in our time over there and our kids went back and in fact even to this day we can sit around the table as a family and talk in French which is just totally down to the town twinning you know, uh, and one fun, well, there was a couple of 
funny things that happened, but I'll tell you one of them. Uh, we brought a basket of shamrock uh, with us on one weekend when we were going over as a gift for St. Patrick's Day. Okay, it was, you know, like a mushroom basket full to the top of the shamrock. Look. And uh, that evening, when we were sitting down to dinner, we saw our shamrock set up on the table as a salad. <laughs> they thought it was a salad. Right. So we had to explain that one, you know. That yeah. was so and um, they, they used to dye the aperitifs green in honour of St. Patrick's Day. And uh, mm. then one year, they br- we wanted to present to them a beautiful miniature Celtic cross which had been done by the students in in Feelys. And it was very heavy. So Clive Rowe had it in a big duffel bag and we were, all was fine until we got to the security at the airport. And what's this? We showed up on the camera, Celtic cross. And at the time in Ireland, uh, there was a lot of these genuine Celtic crosses being stolen and brought out of the country. So all we were taken to the back room and we had to produce a receipt and everything before they would let us through with our cross. And I think to this day it's probably still there it's in, in the, the Irish in Garden in Sandwich. Yeah. So Sandwich was the... That was the town tw- we were twinned with. Yeah. Right. And how, how did it work in terms of, was there some sort of agreement that uh, students went over and students came to boil? And was there certain conditions... <clears throat> Or stuff that had to be met? Was it like learning French for the for us mm. Irish and learning English for the French? I, I think it, no. it originated from our uh, introduction to the EC, as it was then, or the EU now, or whatever they call it these yeah. days. But uh, so they their idea was to uh, cultural exchange. Okay. So some towns were twinned with towns in Germany, and some. Uh, particularly, I think Germany and France seem to be the two main ones. Mm. And uh, France, uh, yes, Sandwitz was the one which was twinned with uh, Boyle. And loads of Sandwitz was a bit more of a, an affluent, you could say a suburban town of Paris, really. Okay. And uh, quite wealthy generally yeah so they used to arrive over and stay in in bed and breakfast or whatever and spend a few days in boil and uh, then but they were children and would go and over and looked yeah. after very well yeah. yeah and brought to all the places in boil and you know yeah yeah so it was a and then i was the uh, chairperson of the committee in its final days because these things run their course and i think because they were learning other languages other than French in the schools, uh, there wasn't as much of a need to have conversational French. And it just kind of Fizzled petered out. out. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but it was, as I said, people got great times out of it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And uh, Dermot, yourself, you were involved in, I remember from my days in the Scouts, but mm. you were heavily involved in the Scouts. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, what was that like? Well, it seemed to just happen. I mean, to how you, nothing was contrived. You just were absorbed into the community. 
uh, from the time, say, the first autumn that we were there when the things began to slow down, I remember particularly the Feelys and the Candons were two of the people who invited us to various social occasions. And then uh, I think James Candon was involved with the Scouts from that stage. But uh, our son joined the Scouts then, Peter, who wasn't big into football or whatever, but in order to develop the notion of some kind of activity outdoors, uh, I thought the Scouts might be a good idea. And of course, the the minute he went in, suddenly the committee said, will you join the committee? So I joined the, the committee, which was a very vibrant committee. I mean, the support of uh, people like uh, um, uh, Mary Ryan and uh, uh, Maura, Maura Clark and uh, uh, Anne... And Clark, uh, they they stand out. That those people were really committed and gave an awful lot of time yeah. to to the of course, committee. And it was a big, it was a big organisation. I remember because I was in the Cubs as well, mm. and then that the the transition to the Scouts. And I always remember it the was, there was a lo- adventure Scout. There was a lot, and I, I remember one trip we did I think it's down this direction Baltrillic or is it further down that's right yeah, yeah I was, do remember going down there yeah. and, and it was at, Mary, at that stage, Mary um, Coleman yeah, yeah at that stage does. there was a bus they had a bus scout bus and they used to go to Baltrillic nearly every year yeah. there's a that's down off the Sligo Donegal Road under Ben Weskin that's right and one of the great appeals uh, there was the road which everything goes uphill. Oh, the illusion. The illusion, yes. Okay. So this road appeared to be slanted upwards, and if you uh, stopped your car and took the handbrake off, the, the go car would appear to roll uphill. So just under Ben Weskin there, and under Trussmore. Right. Uh, so, yeah, that, that was... Uh, Are we in the Scouts for many years? Well, eventually then... Uh, I think it was probably the following year, about uh, 96, uh, they were getting kind of desperate for a scout leader. Mm. And uh, Seamus Flynn, who had been doing it for many years and was a great, was probably an ideal person for the job. And I, I admire the way he could communicate with the boys and yet could hold a firm line, you know, if need be. But uh, I took over, they, they convinced me to <laughs> take on the job and I took it over and put my heart and soul into it. Yeah, yeah. Because I really thought it was worthwhile. Of course. Uh, it, no, it was, it was uh, de- denominated then, if you like, yeah. CBSI. Right. I would have uh, preferred if it was interdenominational, but you went with the flow anyway. Yeah. Uh, but within a short space of time, I, I was really into it. Yeah. Now, I think maybe I might have been a little bit unconventional in some ways that I believe that adventure was the important thing. And That's actually interesting because one story 
that I remember from my days in the Scouts. You remember where we had the, the little annex with the, where we had the Scouts? Yeah, yeah. And then you opened the door and you'd go into the complex where That's you played right. the football. That's right, yeah. And of course, we were all mad for football. So I remember you coming out and myself, and I don't know who else came up to you and says, can we play football? And you says, but this is the Scouts. If you want to play football, join Boyle Celtic. Yeah. And I remember <laughs> saying, well... I'm already in Boyle Celtic as well, but you said, yeah, well, this time is for the scouts. And you were so right yeah. because you were there to learn different skills and you could play the football anytime. Yeah. But uh, yeah. so yeah. interesting, you said they, you were kind of unconventional in your way, but it. you were right. Yeah, maybe. And I, I have to say, James Candon was a primary, a, what would you say, Dragged me up to his level or down right. to his level, whichever way <laughs> yes. you want, and it was on for adventure. Yeah. And then he suggested, as the guys he was with, we had the first Roscommon and the eleventh Roscommon Scouts, but as they grew uh, older, he uh, suggested starting the Venture Scouts. Some uh, more conventional members uh, of the Scouting uh, fraternity weren't totally enamoured with the notion of trying to keep the lid on 16-year-olds or whatever. So uh, there was a little bit of uh, apprehension over it, yeah. let's say. But uh, we persevered and James started the Venture Scouts. Uh, and not alone did he start it, but by God, did he bring them on some uh, great adventures to... Uh, I mean, they cycled to to Paris. Yeah. Uh, and Sandwitz right. at the time and, so it was great. Uh, and it was tremendous and they were in all kinds of winter camping events and whatever and then James uh, asked me would I take over the, the scouts the, the adventure scouts and I knew it was a hard act to follow so I was a little bit uh, apprehensive but yeah. it I remember uh, on one occasion we headed out towards uh, Roscommon, uh, towards the middle of Roscommon. I'm trying to remember Loch Lynn. And uh, when we arrived, we went to uh, the sh- local shop, and uh, the woman said, What are you doing here at this hour, at this time of the year? And it was a frosty, starry night, wonderful, starry night. And we said, oh, we're camping out. And she said, you are not. She says, there's a house that we've just abandoned about two years ago uh, when we moved in here, uh, down the road there. And that's where you're going. She wouldn't hear of us going anywhere. So anyway, we went into the house and it was pretty rag order now. But the upstairs was fine, clean, uh, wooden floors. So I packed the lads off upstairs said, that's where you're sleeping, guys. And I stayed downstairs. But how was I going to stay downstairs? It was pretty grotty. So I put a, I put a, um, a cupboard press, whatever you like to call it, on, on, flat on the ground and opened the two doors and got into it and slept in that. But some stage during the night, uh, the local lads decided they were going to give us a bit of a fright so they arrived after the disco or whatever shining torches in right so at this stage I had one door of the cupboard closed so slowly I opened the door and I put my hand up into the light 
And, oh, Jesus, <laughs> there's a ghost in there. Come on, guys. And they were gone like a flash. Long <laughs> but uh, subsequently, we then, again, with James's help, we went to, uh, to uh, Switzerland. We went to Paris, first of all, got the train down to Geneva, uh, saw Geneva, and then went on to Kanderstag, which was a scout a permanent scout centre, uh, international scout centre. And that's where the boys discovered uh, things like roasty and cheese fondue and uh, some very attractive uh, Portuguese female scouts <laughs> as <Yes>. well. So, <laughs> Always a big attraction. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, of course, in order to do all this, yeah. um, there had to be fundraising to yeah, be done and the scout fair was the highlight of the scouting year. I don't know whether you remember that. Really, no. <laughs> no, I can't say I do. I just can't remember it all. We used hand. to get yeah. big saucepans um, from the restaurant and make popcorn and sell them in kind of twirls of paper, you know, or okay. gla- or plastic cups of my wadi for 10 pence or whatever it was yeah. at the time. Okay. And then... The, Made loads of money. There was a second hand fortune, I wasn't called that tombola, I think it was they call it. But uh, yeah, that's where the money making yeah. was, was and, made. And then, um, only recently, because when I was talking to James, he mentioned that you got recognized for all the hard work you've done over the years in Creighton's that had a bit of a, a celebration oh, yeah. for you and a yeah. kind of like an. An induction into a Hall of Fame, if you like. <laughs> well, I don't know about the Hall of Fame, but I often wondered, you know, over the years, and occasionally we'd meet somebody in Sligo, one of the lads in Sligo, or on the train or whatever, and they'd come up to us and say, how are you, Dermot? How are you, Paula? How are you? How's it going? No, you know, and, was, yeah. uh, and that was great. And I, But I wondered how much of it they really remembered or did they really... Uh, Appreciate, I suppose, in fairness, the amount of effort that the adults put into it. Yeah, uh, not alone myself, but James yeah, Cannon and the committee mm-hmm. and all the other leaders and whatever. Yeah, um, uh, I got this call from Kieran O'Reilly, and Kieran said, uh, "Darwin, we were thinking of having a little reunion for the lad, the Venture Scouts, and and that, uh, and would you be interested in coming?" And I said, "Would I what?" You know, I was very pleasantly surprised and I thought this was, it made every bit of work uh, that we did for the Scouts worthwhile. Yeah, of course. And it's always nice to get recognised for yeah. your ta- your time, effort, yeah. Oh, yeah. you know, to go in and to build, you know, a, a really good uh, organisation, which the Scouts undoubtedly was. And yes. you know, you need people like yourself, James, and all the other committee members that were involved in it. Otherwise, mm. these mm. things don't happen. Yeah, yeah. but it, it was it was really uh, very. I was pleasantly surprised, uh, and more than Kieran O'Reilly uh, worked very hard to get everybody together. I think we had to cancel it once because of the coronavirus thing, and uh, wait for a later stage. Adrian Regan had done a lot of work on assembling a, a, a video of various photogra- photographs and memorabilia from the Scouts. Mm-hmm. And they really put a lot of work into it. And then they presented us with uh, a plaque each for our efforts, which was really nice. Yeah. And 
that plaque is is treasured more than an awful lot of. Yeah. Uh, it represents uh, a, a lot of well, good times, obviously, and a lot of work. Yeah. In the community, so yeah. it's, it's, it's always nice, I think, to rec- get recognised in, in that way. Yeah, but it, it it's not uh, only about the recognition, but it's the fact that uh, maybe you did impart some uh, value to these. The, Kids. Then kids yeah. who were but, now yeah. adults themselves. And Not it, only that, but it was a great bond between father and son. Of course. Uh, yeah. So, uh, Peter, you know, he's kind of climbed every mountain around here ever since. And uh, even on abroad, he's yeah. climbed ma- mountains, climbed Machu Picchu. He did... Yeah, he's, yeah, he's been around. He's place. been, he's yeah, been yeah. around. And yeah. he brought his father with him on the... Camino, Camino. Section of it or the whole lot? He carried no, his, he carried his father's yeah. duffel bag <laughs> as well as his own rucksack. Yeah, he was much fitter than I was. <laughs> Eventually, so. they I, got there. I willingly handed it over to him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so moving on, then ninety-five came. He decided oh. time, uh, times were you, you wanted to move on to a new chapter. That's or, right. Yeah. And did you yeah. you left Boyle then, and did you move down here to Sligo, or did you go somewhere else before you? Well, the, de- the death knell came uh, at the, this stage. I, I needed some kind of a occupation during the winter, mm. and uh, Search, the National Hotel Training Authority, had asked me would I uh, manage these training centres uh, in wherever what they did was they took over hotels during the winter that were not being used and they uh, recruited a load of people who were interested in a future career in the hotel business so they brought them they stayed in the hotel and therefore they create they were the residents if you like but also some of them were uh, doing the house assistance uh, some of them did the chefing, some of them did the uh, bar, although it wasn't drink, but they learned about all the various aspects of of uh, the bar work. And uh, th- then for for three or nearly four months, they would uh, learn the skills of catering. And the idea was that we would then try and get them employment and induction into the into the hotel business. So in 1995, uh, uh, in January, I was in Dingle. And that's where I used to... Uh, I, they asked me would I go to Dingle, and Dingle was a hell of a trek from Boyle. Back in those days So well, back yeah. in those days, so I, uh, I got onto McGowan's bus and I asked them if we could get enough people to fill the bus as we progressed to Dingle would they organise a bus and there was a great driver Pat was his name uh, who used to drive McGowan's bus from Boyle every Sunday Can I just um, come in now with my story about the bus <laughs> okay. yeah, you, can, you can cut it out if not you like, at all. If no, you like. No, not at all. but um, anyway it was organised that I would spend a weekend in Dingle Okay, children all sorted, and I was to meet McGowan's bus 
at the Lakeshore restaurant at 6am in order to get to Dingle, you know, that evening. So I was packed up everything. It was a beautiful, crisp morning. I can remember it well. The deer were grazing on the lawn and Mm -hmm. I was uh, standing in front of the restaurant and I hear this car coming. Okay, so I said, God, I wonder who that is now. It's (laughs) so the car comes up and it sees me in the headlights and it kind of rolls to a stop. It was the cop car. So the the, uh, window was rolled down and the guard said, Hello, Mrs. Liff, are you all right? And I said, Oh, yeah, I'm fine. I'm just waiting for a bus. I'm waiting for a bus at six o'clock in the morning (laughs) at this hour of the day. Uh, I said, no way. So I was trying to explain myself why I would be standing outside the restaurant at six o'clock in the morning waiting for a bus. And uh, then I saw more headlights coming, bigger headlights. This was McGowan's bus coming for me, the one I was waiting for. (laughs) So all was explained and the the guardy helped me lift up myself and my uh, overnight bag onto the bus and we headed off for Dingle. Ah, so that was, that was the end. That's, that was your ten-year that was stint yeah, exactly in, in Boyle. So, so uh, we picked up three or four guys from Boyle, and then headed for uh, Athlone, and uh, picked up a few more as we went uh, went along uh, Athlone, and then uh, down towards Limerick, and then towards towards uh, yeah. Dingle and. Uh, we left Boyle at five o'clock in the day, uh, arrived in Dingle at God knows eleven o'clock or twelve o'clock at night, depending on mm. weather and whatever. And that was every Sunday for oh thirteen, fourteen weeks. Yeah. That's how it was. Oh wow! So but it was, the, the time did come when we had to move on. Yeah, it was time. Yeah, it, it was time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. it was time. Well, I got a phone call then as it was started to say in Dingle. In January of '95, mm. uh, this was these large multinational consultants uh, based in Dublin, and uh, we are involved in doing the assessments for a new development in Lockheed Forest Park with hotels and yes, chalets. That was a big God knows what, yeah. you know. And uh, uh, would you a uh, provide us with the information about your business yeah and of course the, the, the gander was up anyway the minute mm. I I heard this uh, for two reasons I thought to, to start building chalets in, in Lockheed Forest Park wasn't quite the thing no. but uh, also I knew it was the death knell of our little franchise yeah yeah so I, I'm more or less <laughs> kind of said, two turkeys vote for Christmas. Yeah. So there was uh, no way I was cooperating with them. Yeah. But uh, anyway, there was some guy from America who was supposed to be a president of some corporate bank or whatever who was behind this. But then we realized that there was a lot of no balloons at this stage but a lot of hot air still anyway yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, and it uh, went on and on and the Roscommon Herald was constantly full of notions of this hotel and all the rest uh, and in a way I was 
in two minds. What are we going to do now? Do we try and get a, a foothold into this development? Because survival is the yeah, of course. The game. Yeah. And I was conflicted between that and the beautiful environment, which was going to, uh, which was going yeah. to be uh, decimated. Really. Yeah. So anyway, uh, it uh, petered out after a long time. But there was, in the meantime, because of the publicity, it's amazing how it affects people's perception of things. And the numbers began to drop in in the summer. Yeah. And not alone that, but... Also, we were getting a bit of stick from the public coming in. What are you doing destroying this lovely park? And why are you doing this? As if we were doing yeah, it. Yeah, you know? you were involved. And they stopped cutting the grass on the lawn and everything was let mm, go. Things, mm, you know. Yeah, things okay. were kind of, you know, in a state of uh, limbo. Yeah. So in 92, I thought, well, I better be looking around for something uh, so something else to keep the fire burning. Yeah. So I got a job uh, in as catering manager in uh, St Andrews College in Sligo. And I worked for Leader, helping people to start their own businesses. Mm-hmm. And I had, I had a little secretarial business my, myself on the side. Yeah. So that was a nice transition then out from... From, but, from yeah, well, it was a yeah. little bit, you know, it was difficult enough, mm-hmm. you know, changes we, always. And when you have four new mouths to feed, yeah, mm-hmm. true as well, yeah. it's not easy. And uh, But we didn't leave, uh, we still ran the park until 95. Yeah. Because I was determined that really uh, the powers that be had kind of simply uh, marched all over uh, our livelihood without too much ado and and uh, I was determined I was going to stick to my guns and really uh, it was with the help of Tom Callan yeah. that I took on the forestry and wildlife service who were still civil servants mm-hmm. not the lo- nothing to do with the locals this was Dublin and uh, uh, it was thanks to him that we got compensated which was important because we had lost money in the last year or two in the business but it, it's incredible how things turn around and I'm a great believer in, in this notion that what goes around comes around you know and if you do somebody a, a turn you'll get a turn yeah. even when in Boyle we always included the town in any itineraries and I remember Dick McGee saying to me you know business uh, from those school buses was great for example in in for the shops in Boyle at the time and and uh, yeah. he, he appreciated the fact of what we'd done there but uh, uh, anyway to, to back to the uh, the guy who was fairly high up in the forestry purely it's just an interesting story how things go around when we were running the restaurant in Dockey we always took in one or two of the cert students for work experience and there was one girl in particular who we had to work quite hard to get her enthused and uh, get her working <laughs> I remember saying to her on one occasion there's Cert's way uh, your way and my way and my way is what goes here <laughs> I'm trying to get her but anyway as it transpired when uh, this the representative arrived down I didn't know. 
until afterwards. Uh, but uh, he was a family member of this girl's. And when we had finished the negotiations, he said to me, you know, I've never, or my family have never forgotten what you did for that girl in talking. And that was why he was a bit more amenable to uh, compensation. Right. Uh, so it played in your favour just so, for being yeah, yeah. decent. From yeah. and then 15 the, years earlier, you know. We built our house then eventually. And uh, now my house is totally accessible for disabled living. Mm-hmm. I, I am in my little electric chair. And it's a, you were supposed to get your house. You have to be able to go around your house on the inside and on the outside. And that's what I have achieved here. We have the most beautiful view. You do. And we have nice neighbours. Yeah. And we are maturing like a good wine, as Ronan O'Keneal <laughs> would say. <laughs> and uh, that, there we yeah. are. And uh, looking out at the, the lake, you've, you've kept very close to the lake, haven't you? We have. Over the years. Yeah. yeah. So it's... Um, and is there is there anything else that you'd like to touch on that I wouldn't have touched on so far? Apart from the the, the social integration facilitated by the Feelys and the Candons, uh, one of the great pleasures was that occasionally we would get a call from Art Carn, from uh, Ronan mm. O'Canila to say, uh, I've just opened a very good bottle of Coterone. And we knew that Ronan meant a good bottle. He says, do you want to come down and have a glass? And of course, we'd hightail it. It was only sure. 10 minutes uh, away. <laughs> exactly. We'd hightail it down at 6 or 7 o'clock in the evening. And sometimes there was more than one bottle. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> at that stage, yeah. you could just nip in the back avenue. And so you weren't on the public road. It was no, very handy. they're very good friends. And we have some very yeah. good friends even to this day in Boyle. Yeah. And we keep yeah. in touch with births, marriages mm. and deaths. Brilliant, yeah. Through mm. Kathleen Camden. She yeah. keeps us informed. But uh, yeah. You know, in a, space, a special place in our hearts. Yeah, of course. About Boyle. Yeah. Uh, the, things have developed too in a, in a way James Cannon and myself uh, used to take a, an open uh, boat open rowing boat and uh, travel we travel from uh, Boyle up to Enniskillen throw a tent up on the side uh, cook something up and maybe have a glass of wine if we were felt like it uh, and move on the next day and we travel from Enniskillen from Boyle to Enniskillen, from Boyle to Port Tumna, uh, and eventually then we got a bit long in the toots for this adventurous stuff. So uh, James came up with the notion that Asher, we'd get a, we'd put a crew together. So uh, we did, and it was constituted. The the Boyle part of it was Porik um, Porik. Uh, <laughs> Come to me in a minute. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Brian Kelly, uh, James, myself, and then there were two two Barry. others. Uh, Barry Feely, yes, and Ronan. Uh, and Ronan joined us on one or two occasions, and we used to take a barge uh, down the uh, down the river or a cruiser, and for for five or six days. Lovely. In the in the just off season, 
Men only. Which so, was of like, course. Oh, oh yeah. No, no. But stays on board. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that's great. Good, good, good stories. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, I've always said that you guys were instrumental in making Lucky what it is today. Because as, as we know, it's extremely busy and touristy yeah, these days. Yeah. And um, you guys back in the day helped make uh, cement them foundations because not only with the restaurant but your involvement with the hot air balloons and the different committees in town yeah. it's made really lucky yeah. what it is it comes to mind there were a number of other events too which were like the yeah. nissan the nissan classic cycle oh, yes. race yes uh, yes yes i remember that. lucky forest park there was also uh, a marathon uh, canoe race from uh, boyle to uh, carrick and shannon which was a bit of a novelty yeah uh, because they had to open the gates and they had to have a special diet of some of them t- in order to maintain their l- fluid levels during the rowing thing, uh, had to eat some like five pounds of spaghetti or right. pasta or something. <laughs> so, yeah, there was always something. There were lo- uh, quite a few cross-country races, including an international schools one. Uh, once or twice, mm. remember the people from Scotland. I still have a, a tie somewhere that some of the Scottish crowd gave me. Uh, you know, there's all these kind yeah, of momentums of and memories. And but it, boy, was it a fabulous place to live! You know, in the centre of that park. For and it's great that you have all the memories to share with everyone that's listening, because there'll be a lot of eager ears to listen to your story and. You know, and it's and it's great. And well, thanks very much to you. No, thank you very for much for allowing us to bring up all these memories. Yeah, no, and thank you very much for inviting me down here to your lovely house. It's um, great. It's been great. So, thank you very much, Boti. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. So that's it for this episode, folks. I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed recording it. If you like the content, we'd really appreciate it if you could share it. You can follow us on Facebook by searching for Voices of Boyle. And you can also contact us on our website by visiting voicesofboil.com. We're always looking for new guests, so if you'd like to be on the show, or if you know someone who you'd like to join us, please reach out to us via our Facebook page or website. Thanks very much, and we'll chat to you again soon. Mm-hmm.